Good morning, everyone. Good to see you here. I want to welcome those who are joining us online and, of course, our dungeon dwellers down at F3. Got to always welcome them, too. They feel left out if I don't call them that. <clears throat> they think I don't love them after a while. So I don't know if you've ever uh, attended downstairs or not, but uh, they'll probably kill me for telling you this, but it's a great opportunity. Um, would love for you to have that experience, too. And of course, some of them, you'll have to encourage them to come up here and join us too, right? Like, that's how that works. But anyways, it's uh, good to be here together with you. <clears throat> we are in our study of the book of Acts. So if you want to turn to that book and turn to chapter 9, we'll be talking about that here in a minute. Um, I want to kind of review a little bit, bring us back up to speed, make sure our thinking is uh, tracking along because I think it has importance as we look into this chapter so I'll start out here in chapter 1, verse 8. You guys uh, probably know this verse already, and of course we've studied it as we began our, our study of this book. But you'll notice here in uh, verse 8, he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So the Lord is telling them, to, speaking to his disciples, that this is going to happen. There's a couple things that I want to highlight for you out of this. One is that he says, you'll be witnesses to me. <clears throat> that word witness, we're seeing over and over again as we've been studying this book. These individuals are testifying, they're declaring, they're saying something about what they've seen, what they've been involved with over these three and a half years and how Christ, as he's lived with them, how he's impacted their life. They're telling of this. It's not something that they have to be a bit fearful and go, oh my word, what in the world am I going to say? They're just expressing this is what our experience has been. This is what we know. And it's not of them and their story. It's actually of him. And uh, we know that uh, Luke is writing this letter, and it's a, it's a history letter for us, right? And so he's telling us a lot of details. He's actually witnessing to us. I don't know if you caught that or not. He's testifying to us. He's telling us this is what happened. And I'm a witness of this. I'm, I'm explaining some of this to you. All of it is pointed to the Lord, though. There, there's intensity in that. There's a desire to see him raised up. Why? So that the heart might worship him. So that people might be drawn to him right? Not to ourselves. We're just witnesses of that. But he also says in this, he says, <clears throat> you shall be. That, that's, a, that's in a tense that's like, that's going to happen. One way or another, this is going to happen. And over these eight chapters that we've been reading so far and studying, we've actually seen some of that occur, right? I'll, I'll bounce through that here real quickly with you in just a minute. But he says, you're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. There's, there's, a, there's a progress that's going on. We're right in the middle of that progress in our study. <clears throat> so God has declared something and we can count on him doing what he says that he'll do. And he actually allows us to partner together with him with that little word witness, every one of us in that place. Well, as I said, it starts there in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth. If you remember this in chapter 5, when some of the disciples were brought into the leaders, this is one of the things that they said to them. They said, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name, this name of Christ? 
And look, you've filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and, is, and intend to bring this man's blood on us. Like you, you guys have, you've actually been witnesses. You've actually been telling everybody about this so much so that, that you're trying to put his, his death on us. Which, by the way, they had already told Pilate, let, let that be on us, right? Like they had already taken that on themselves. Witnesses already in this little town of Jerusalem. It's already begun. It's already been, in a sense, accomplished, too. <clears throat> and so, as we went through this, coming then to verse eight, uh, chapter 8, rather, Saul is introduced to us in the story of Stephen. And it says in that story, if you remember the last chapter, Saul was consenting to his death. He was glad for that. And at that time, it says, a great persecution arose against the church that was at Jerusalem. So, so you see that little statement already again tells us, it, it confirms that's happened at Jerusalem. But remember, he said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. So this one's done, or at least has been accomplished to the degree that he's describing in that. It's not done in that there's always unbelievers to be uh, engaging with, right? But, but the gospel has reached into this city. And so from there, it says a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. It's as if, as that was, as that was being accomplished, these disciples went into a little bit of a brain deadness, right? Not remembering what the Lord had said and not being obedient to that. And so he just brings along a little persecution and bumps them out the door. It's kind of like the mom bird who bumps her chicks out of the nest a little bit. Come on, you guys got to learn to fly a little bit here, right? He just bumps them out the door. And where do they go? Into Judea and Samaria, scattered all throughout those, those areas. And it says then in verse 14, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Like, like, not only did it go out, but word was coming back that this is actually being accomplished. Have you been watching that? Have you been seeing that the Lord is doing exactly what he says that he will do? He keeps his word. We know that, right? We know some things about God. We're, we, we've said that, that Acts is not necessarily a theological book, but there's a lot of theology in it. We see the sovereignty of God. He's in charge over all of that. His children need to be responsive to him. And when they aren't, he, he can come along and nudge us, right? He, he has the capability of, of moving us along into the way that he wants for us to go. Sometimes he allows us to resist that. Sometimes he puts a little bit more force, a little more pressure behind that and gets us moving in it, right? Wooing our hearts to be obedient to him in all of that. So we see from these verses... <clears throat> That the gospel has actually gone to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And because it has actually gotten to Samaria, we come then to chapter 9. And here we'll look at the first two verses just to set this up. Verse 1 says, Then Saul, that same guy that we were introduced to who was consenting, thumbs up for killing Stephen, I'm good for this. It says that Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Just so you know, I love the color that the word of God gives us in the sense of the vibrancy of it. This idea is like, it's like he's, a, I've been chasing these believers like crazy. Just give me a minute, I'll get a breath. Okay, okay, give me a letter, I'm going after some more, right? Like that's the idea that he's talking about when he says 
still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He's still after them. This guy is hardcore. Why? Because he believes that he's doing what God wants him to do. I love the zealousness of that. I love the fact that he is interested in doing what God wants, but he's wrong. He doesn't understand that, but he will in just a minute, right? So still breathing that out, he went to the high priest and he asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. Just so you know, Damascus is in Samaria. That's again telling us we actually have believers now in this area. So much so that Saul is saying, hey, can can I get permission to go get them? Let me go fishing a little bit up there in that town called Damascus. Let me see if I can't find some people. Well, it says, so that if he found any who were of the way, that's a reference to believers, the way of truth, the way of Christ. Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. That's what his intent was. That's what he was purposing. The story of Acts is a story of God. It's a story that tells us who he is and what he does, and it's a wow story. It's a a history lesson for us as we look at that and we begin to see God at work. One of the things that it should be doing for us is it should be causing us to worship him because we're seeing him and we're seeing him in action. And another thing that it should be doing for us is it should be encouraging us that when God said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, guess what part we fit into? The uttermost part of the earth. Right? That's that's of the, you see, it's been moving all along. And we've enjoyed that now. God is still accomplishing that, and he still wants to accomplish that. And so this whole focus that we're talking about building bridges, guess what we get to be a part of? God's still accomplishing what he said he was going to do. Scattering us. Some of us are in this particular vocation. Some of us in that. Our families are over here and over there, right? Like, we're scattered. We have all of this opportunity before us. So we get to follow this journey in order to be challenged in our own lives. God, how does the story continue with me? So let's pick it up then in verse 3. So as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. So he's getting close, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Can you close your eyes just for a minute? Would you mind doing that? Just close your eyes. Trust me a little bit here. We're not going to sneak anybody in. Keep one eye open if you can't, okay? Put yourself now in Saul's place. Think of yourself as him. You've been traveling on a road. It's probably dusty and hot, middle of the day. It's pretty bright out there. And all of a sudden, this bright light shines on you. So much so that you fall to the ground. It knocks you over, if you want to say it that way. And you can't see anything, but you hear this voice. And that voice says, why are you persecuting me? And all of a sudden, you're astounded with the realization that what you've been doing is going contrary to what God... You know that this is the voice of God. It's not a question in his mind. You know it. What are you going to do with that? Go ahead and open your eyes. You feel it a little bit? God is actually going to give 
three days graciously to Saul to allow him to think through this and mull that over a little bit more. But he tells him some things here. He says, Saul, to the question, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus. I titled this little portion that Saul sees Christ because I think there's something important for us to catch in the view, in the scene, in the recognition, in the um, I acknowledge who you say you are, and I agree with that, right? He saw Jesus, and something is going to change here for him. We'll get to that in a little bit. He says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Do you see how the Lord links up the persecution that Saul was doing to the people of Jesus with himself? You're the people of Jesus too. He links up what's going on with you with himself. He cares about that. And he tells Saul here, he says, listen, it's hard for you. You're, you see, a goad was like a, like a, like a stick with a, a pointed end that they would jab sometimes into the, into the heel of the ox to get them to move. Come on, get going. Sometimes we think of a, like a whip that does the same kind of thing, that crack that whip to get them going. That's what this was about. And sometimes those, those animals didn't like that. They, they would give a kick. That wasn't a very good kick. You know, like they'd give a good one. <clears throat> they'd try to knock you off if they could. Stop poking me. And in poking you, you're kicking back against it, and it's kind of hurting. That's what the Lord's telling him. And so guess what? <clears throat> Saul comes to that place of, so, so what do you want me to do then, Lord? <laughs> like, what's next? So the Lord said to him, rise and go to the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Kind of leaves him in a little suspense for a while. I think there's a reason for that. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. And there's the story of that, right? Amazing time. <clears throat> and, and Saul, oh, sorry, I'll keep calling him Paul because his name gets changed a few chapters down the road here. But Saul is given an opportunity to think. <clears throat> he's, he's, he's given some time to mull that over. How that must have been in his own heart to realize, oh my word, all the things that I've been doing, the, the, the zeal that I've had for God has been pointed in the wrong direction. I was totally blind to this. But now I see, even though my eyes don't. Right Now I see this. I'm recognizing something going on here. God has the ability, the wonder of God, to draw people to himself. I'll tell you a little story. When I was a sophomore or junior in high school, I had a summer job. And uh, I was assigned one day, I was at a state park, and I was assigned to dig a ditch. It kind of started out like flat ground, and then we kind of moved into this bank. And the bank was probably only about waist high or so somewhere in there, <clears throat> and we're digging away, <clears throat> and a guy was assigned to that same job with me, and his name was Duke. Sounds like a good name, doesn't it? Whatever you can imagine with that name, that Duke was big, Duke was powerful, Duke was somebody that you weren't going to mess with. Duke was also a little lazy, so I'm digging away, right? <clears throat> and I'm beginning to fuss over this thinking, hey, this isn't right. 
I'm digging like crazy. I'm sweating. And Duke is behind me, and he's kind of cleaning up after me. He's tougher than I am. Get in front of me. Or at least let's swap off. But there was no way I was going to tell Duke that kind of stuff. All of a sudden, Duke stopped working whatever little bit he was doing. He took his shovel, and he dropped it across the ditch, like as if to bar my way from coming back out, stood in front of that or behind that uh, shovel, and said, so Tim, am I going to hell? (laughs) Are you kidding me? I knew Duke well enough that the answer was yes. But I didn't want to tell him that. I literally, I mean, this is, you know, fleeting thoughts. I literally thought, if I tell him that, he's going to kill me. Maybe I'm actually digging my grave here. How difficult is it going to be for me to get out of this ditch before he gets to me? Because if I tell him that, he's going to really be mad. But if I lie to him and say something that's not true, I'll save my skin, but it could cost him his soul. What am I going to do? This all was happening really quick. <clears throat> what I realized, not so much even in the moment, but maybe afterwards, was that Duke had gotten into the category of Saul for me. He, um, in my mind, was a person who, there's no way he would ever get saved. There's no way that he would ever be interested in these things. So I wrote him off. Now, I wasn't a great witnesser, just so you know, in truth. (laughs) I was scared to death to witness. Still am to this very day. But in those days, I really didn't want to. And here this guy is standing there with his shovel like he's saying, Tim, you're not leaving this ditch until you give me the answer. Am I going to hell or not? And I gulped and I told him, you know what? If you haven't put your trust in Christ for your salvation, I'm sorry to tell you, but you are. That's the only way. Years later, I met his brother, who's a pastor, and I said, hey, where's Duke? What's going on with Duke? Is he a believer? He said, he is, Tim. I don't know if that was part of the journey or not. I'm just telling you that the souls of our world can get saved. Isn't that amazing? Do you ever find yourself at times doubting that? And I'm not saying, do you see the fleeting thought go through your mind, although that might be true, but I'm saying it more from the, is your actions revealing that your thinking is that there's some that just would never respond to the Spirit of God challenging their heart. Saul stands as an example to us of someone who sees the Lord and becomes a believer. He saw the Lord. Now, we're going to get to the story of Ananias here in just a little bit. I'll steal it and tell you in advance that Saul repeats this story in Acts 22 and in Acts 26. He's actually going to tell various leaders about this story. And as we piece those all together, I actually believe that Ananias is the one who has the opportunity to bring Saul to Christ. I don't think he's a believer just yet. Now, there's some dispute on that, and I'm okay with that kind of stuff. But I'm saying that either right there on the road or when Ananias came, he saw the Lord, and guess what that did? It changed him. It caught his heart, and he became a believer. And we're also going to see in this that Saul saw the Lord and was willing to suffer. 
Remember that as we go into this story of Ananias here in a minute, in a bit. Okay? He's, there's, there's, a, there's a willingness because of, uh, of an understanding of God, take my life and let it be yours. Right? That's what we're singing. And, and that's just not like, okay, and let it be yours in all the flowery and wonderful things of life. Just, oh, that would be so wonderful. Because God, you're a genie and we just rub the lamp and we just, we just get all of our wishes. That's not what he's talking about, right? There are times of great sorrow and suffering where people lead us because they express to us, this is what it looks like to trust God in a difficult moment. Suffering. He's willing to. Why? Because he sees Jesus and he thinks he's worth it. I'll also tell you, and this is something that you're going to have to watch as we go down through the book of Acts and, and even into the studies of some of the epistles of Paul. Saul saw the Lord, and that began a life of liberty, and that began a life of joy in knowing him. He's, say, he's the one who says that I might know him. And the fellowship of his suffering, that's what he says. That I'm, and the joy of knowing him and being conformed to his image. Watch that with Saul. We'll see this actually occurring bit by bit through his life. And again, all of these things serve, I believe, as we, as we study out this history, we see what God is able to do in a life that we think there's no way that individual would ever get saved, and yet God is reaching towards them. Saul had every opportunity to reject him. But he also had every opportunity there to accept him. And so he did. And Saul becomes an example to us. God, you may want to do those kinds of things in our life. You may want to use us in people who we think are, nope, they're unsavable. Nobody is in that condition. Not a single one, even though they all might think it. Oh, Tim, if you only knew what I did, you wouldn't be telling me this. You would know, no way would God love me. That's not true. I've had a person actually tell me that. No way are we going to give our lives in such a way that suffering might be a part of that unless we see Jesus. But as we see him, <laughs> now it's worth it, right? No way are we going to enjoy the liberty that's in Christ, the joy of knowing him, unless we see him. And it's not with the naked eye, right? It's with the eyes of our heart. It's as we open his word and, and we learn about him. We gain an appreciation for who he is. We see Jesus and he begins to do a work then in our hearts. Well, verse 10 picks up then the next guy, Ananias. He comes onto the scene. Isn't it wonderful? Here's another witness, by the way. Saul, and he's going to be a tremendous witness for the latter portion especially of what the Lord had said and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He's a witness for the Lord. The chapter 22 and chapter 26 that I mentioned to you, guess what he was doing at that time? The very things that God is telling him here that he's going to do. Let's pick this up. Ananias, our next witness. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. So again, we see from that verbiage, we've got believers there. This is a guy, again, later on in Acts, it tells us a bit more, Paul tells us more about him, that he was a devout Jew. And now he's come to know the Christ. So now he's a disciple of Christ is what he is. And he's there. He, he's presumably a fairly young believer. And the Lord speaks to him. He sees the Lord too. I like to look at Ananias as a guy who's willing 
but not so willing. But God's able to handle that too, because we can identify with that. <clears throat> and <clears throat> so there was a certain um, disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, called him out. Hello, are you awake? Right? <clears throat> and he said, here I am, Lord. What, what, what do you want? Kind of similar to Saul, kind of the same response, didn't have the bright light, didn't get knocked over, but he's paying attention here. What do you want, Lord? Here I am. So the Lord said, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. So you catch a couple things here. <clears throat> one is, is that when the Lord's talking to Ananias, look at the phraseology, phraseology there, the tenses, he is praying. Like that, that's like Saul is praying right now, Ananias, and I'm asking you to go and I'm giving you directions. It's a street called Straight and then you go to this house and then you ask for this guy and guess what? You'll find him. And, and so this is going on. The Lord knows what's going on, Right? He's aware of your prayer. Do you ever feel like sometimes he's not? Do you ever feel like, Lord, where are you? Are you not listening? What do I have to do to get your attention? Right? He hears. He's listening. We can have confidence in that. For three days, he let this guy Saul stew in it for a while. Because he's going to bring a dude called Ananias into his life. And oh my word, are we going to see something happen out of this? And somehow he's even communicating. And by the way, Saul, it'll be a guy named Ananias who will come. Like, did he have his name written on his forehead or what? How did he know that? Right? He sees this. So here's where the unwillingness shows up. Ananias says, Lord... I've heard from many about this man, like as if, well, not just one, but many. Like, you know, certainly you know this, God, right? Like, maybe you don't, so maybe I need to, maybe I need to remind you anyways of this. Like as if God doesn't know. Uh, Lord, excuse me, um, excuse me, just, 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 a, just, a, just, a little, just a little point here. I've heard about this guy. How much he's done to the saints in Jerusalem. Like, you know that, right, Lord? You're, you're aware of that, right? And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. <laughs> Swallow that one a little bit. Because guess what? Ananias is one of those who call upon his name. He, he's got authority to bind all who call. That's me. You're asking me to go into the lion's den. You're asking me to go engage with this guy who has the authority to actually take me to prison. And when his eyes open, I'm not sure if I can get out of the ditch fast enough and get away from him. But the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. That, that's what's going to happen with this guy. In Acts 22 and 26, guess who he's witnessing to? Kings in authority. The large bulk of his ministry, 
Guess where that's at? With Gentiles. We'll see that as we go through this book of Acts. We'll see him actually say, hey, every place that we go, we're going to the synagogue, and you guys have decided that this is not for you, so we're going to turn to the Gentiles. Right? But also, he'll bear my name to the children of Israel. We'll actually find by the end of this letter that there'll be a time when he's in Jerusalem, and he'll be accused of perverting the temple, and they'll want to kill him. And he'll have to say, hey, hey, can I have a chance to just talk to these my people? And, and he'll speak, right? And he'll share again. He'll fulfill everything here that God is declaring that he will fulfill. He says, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. We'll read about the stories of him being bitten by a snake. We'll read about the stories of where he was beaten, right? Left for dead at times. Shipwrecked. All kinds of things that are happening. The deprivations of life are going to come upon this guy all as a witness. He bears within his body, he says, the scars that come from that. We're going to see some of that as we study this. All for the purpose of helping us ultimately see Jesus. Right? To see Jesus at work and to worship him, to be in awe of him. And that's how he wants to use our life, too, so that people might see Jesus at work in our lives and be in awe of him. Ananias went his way. Yes, sir. Going to do it now. Willing till he finds out what he's supposed to do. I'm not so willing. And then the Lord just says, uh, you need a little bit clearer vision of me. Go. Oh, ho, ho. oh okay. I'm gone. And this guy is now obedient. He is in. Went his way, entered the house, laying his hands on him. That's exactly what God told him to do, right? Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight at once. <laughs> that had to be incredible. And he arose and was baptized. That tells us that he became a believer. Again, it doesn't tell us exactly when. It just proves to us this guy became saved. That's what he did. <clears throat> and Paul, recording that in, in uh, the later chapters of Acts, tells us that this guy Ananias came and did this. That's why I believe that he got saved there. I think Ananias had the privilege of being the father, spiritual father, of a guy who was going to change the world as God worked through him. If you would have known it, ahead of time, and you were in Ananias' shoes, would there have been any hesitation whatsoever? Probably not. It requires eyes of faith, doesn't it? It requires seeing Jesus. It requires understanding that he has the authority and right as the despot to tell us what to do. And we get the privilege to follow after that. And if we follow after that, we get, we get to go along for the ride and watch what he's doing in amazement as he affects our neighborhoods, as he affects some within our family who seem to be so strongly against him, as he affects our own lives, we get to watch that. We get to see that in action. And this guy was obedient, and he stepped forward, and he got the privilege, I believe anyways, of becoming the father of a guy who was spreading the gospel in an amazing way, and you're impacted that, by that to this very day. And so it says that when he received his sight, he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. And then Saul spent many days with the disciples at Damascus. 
So he hung out with these guys. He's brought into that. The very ones that he came to persecute are the very ones now that he's engaged with in fellowship. How amazing is our God that we serve. Isn't that incredible? In Acts chapter 26, Saul says this. He says that he's sent to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You see that phraseology? To open their eyes. They see. To open their eyes. To turn from darkness to light. When you closed your eyes, it should have been all dark. You couldn't see. But when you open them, the lights are on and you see. Right? And that is so many places in Scripture... The, the light is, he was the light of the world, John says, right? Why? So that we might see. <clears throat> there is a crucial truth in this aspect of seeing that we don't want to miss. If we fail in this, what we're left with is trying to bring about these things in our own life. And we'll find that we can't accomplish that. It's only... The Spirit of God living out the life of Christ as we see him, that we change. I'll put this up here for you. You can turn here, but 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Notice the seeing terminology here. But you all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Do you see that term, Beholding. That's a seeing word. That's a looking word. That's gazing upon him. You say, how do we do that, Tim? Well, we get into his word. <clears throat> we mull on him. We think about him. We fellowship together with other people who are reminding us about him. All of those are ways of beholding him, considering him. <clears throat> and it says, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. As we gaze on him, as we see the awesomeness of who he is, which we're doing as we go through this book of Acts, just so you know. Look at that, our being transformed. That's a present tense word. That's a, you can count on happening right now before your very eyes. You are being transformed as you behold him. How is that happening? By the spirit of the Lord. He's the one doing that work, and you can trust him for that. <clears throat> now, just to remind you of a couple things, because uh, rather than just cherry-picking one out, I'll tell you there are a number of scriptures that speak of this same thing. And if I can whet your appetite to do a study on this, to, to go find out where does it talk about people seeing the Lord and how are they affected by that. <clears throat> Isaiah 6.1, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, he said, right? Do you remember the story in Job? Job loses everything. The chapters go by one after another as his friends are telling him, hey, you're wrong. And he's saying, I'm not wrong. And I just wish God would show up so that we could have a to-do here and figure all this out. And God doesn't show up. And he's just going back and forth and back and forth. And then finally God shows up and he says, ah, I'm going to ask you some questions. You get ready to answer them. And he goes through about half of those. And Job says, oh, my word, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth. I'm not going to say anything. Oh, no, 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 no. We're not done yet. And he goes on with him, and guess what Job says then in 42? He says, I have heard about you, but now I see you, and I abhor myself. 
In a day and age when, oh, you can't abhor yourself. Oh, heaven forbid that we would be so self-damaged in that. I'm just here to tell you that when you see Jesus, that's what that brings about because you see the awfulness of yourself. And the contrast between that helps you to worship him even more. How could a God like you love a person like me who consistently and constantly is prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, and yet you still love me? You're an amazing God. And guess what happens? More worship because we see him. In John chapter 1, John is talking about this and he says, We saw his glory. The glory as of the only begotten Son, full of grace and truth. I'll tell you what, that guy was changed too. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, looking, there's the word, right? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, the completer of our faith. He's the one. He's the one who began, we put our trust in him for our salvation, and he's the one who will complete it, who will finish it out as we gaze. I didn't put them up here, but I also found in this study that there are several people, in fact, in the book of Hebrews, it tells us, it says, the author writes, and he says, you know what, your fathers, they saw my works too. For 40 years, it didn't change them. In Acts, he says, you know what? These people will hear, these people will see, but in seeing they won't perceive. Why? Because their hearts are dull, right? So just the mere look doesn't guarantee that. But I tell you what, when God shows up and the heart is receptive to that and sees him changed forever. It's not something that's, that's being forced upon us. It's something that comes that we're drawn to. We love him. We care for him. We desire more. So the challenge for us people is to behold him. And in the beholding of him, guess what we become? Witnesses. We begin to tell people. And that's what our focus is about. And that's what we're trying to encourage one another in. To remind each other, you see, look around. Here's expressions of the very life of Christ being displayed in all of these mortal bodies. What a change, what a difference that makes to people who see him in your life. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for um, the privilege that you've given to me. What a thrill it is. I want to thank you for um, your word. Thank you for how it teaches our hearts. Thank you for... um, the rebuke sometimes that it brings when I'm afraid of a duke. More afraid of a duke than the king of kings. <clears throat> until, that, until that changes, Lord, and I see you and I'm willing to do what it is that you want me to do. So thank you for giving us your word and teaching us through this. We trust you in it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before, I forgot something. Before. I forgot something. So if you all remember, Mark was talking about Stephen and he saw, an, he saw the Lord in the heavens and he thought, wow, uh, this is amazing. And it says that his face was changed like the face of an angel. You guys remember that? Mark couldn't remember what that looked like, but um, somebody at the Christmas party actually found what that looks like.
Isn't that funny? This is the kind of people that you have working for you in this church. I'm just telling you. You might want to reconsider that. Thank you.